This is Mass and Volume, a podcast exploring topics on cultural identity and social dynamics. I am your host, Scotty Crow. Thank you so much for listening. Here's today's episode. Hello, thank you for tuning into this episode of Mass and Volume. And by tuning in, I mean pressing play on your smartphone or computer. Maybe you didn't tune in, I don't know. Either way, I am Scotty Crow, your host, and my guest for this episode is Maribel Hernandez Rivera. And Maribel is in the Mayor's Office of Immigration Affairs here in New York City. She is the Executive Director of Legal Initiatives. And over the past few years, Maribel has launched and led a number of programs and initiatives that are aimed at creating a more inclusive community here in New York. And I came to know Maribel because I attended a program at the Park Avenue Armory a few months ago called I Am America Too, uh, inspired by the Langston Hughes poem. And the program was dedicated to looking at the intersection of arts and culture with social impact and social change. And so throughout the day, there were experts of all kinds from all fields who had taken either their art or had created cultural programs or in cultural spaces to make a greater social impact or try to change the community in a positive way. And it was a really fascinating day and very inspiring. And on one of the early panels, I saw Commissioner Agarwal from the mayor's office speak a lot about the work that they had done in New York City to enhance and boost and really amplify the multiculturalism that exists in New York City. And it was very inspiring. And at the end, one of the facilitators of the day came up and talked about the IDNYC program. And if you live in New York City, I'm going to ask you to listen intently for the next 90 seconds. If you don't live in New York City, you can listen maybe casually for the next 90 seconds. But IDNYC is a municipal identification program where you receive an ID card that proves that you are a resident of New York City. And to get that card, you need to prove your identification and you need to prove residency in New York City, but you don't have to show any other paperwork. So by virtue of having this card, we are creating a sanctuary community. And the more folks in New York City who have this card, the larger that sanctuary community becomes. So it is an action of allyship, which is valuable. And on the other side, the card grants admission, maybe discounted, maybe free, to all kinds of cultural institutions across the city. So museums, exhibits, events, I believe there are discounts on services or shopping. And you get to take a photo for an ID. I mean, who doesn't love taking a photo for an ID? Everyone. But that said, I really encourage you, if you're in New York City, to get this card. I actually went last week to get my card. It took all of maybe 12 minutes to fill out the one-page application and schedule an interview online. And then the interview itself was maybe another 12 minutes, uh, nine of which were just waiting for my spot. So it's a very easy thing to do. It has great benefits. It also builds this community around us. And I think in... uh, In the city of New York, which is like the exemplary immigration story of the country, I think it's important that we all do whatever we can to support the elements that made this city what it is and made this country what it is. And I hope you'll find that Maribel's story is a bit of an allegory or a metaphor for what can happen if we treat new members in our community just as that, as new members in our community. I have a belief that new energy and new thoughts and new cultures and the influx of Things that are different make the country stronger, and they make us better people. And I don't know if I can think of any more inspiring or deeply resonant story than Maribel's. So I really hope you enjoy our conversation, and I think that her story is 
important and inspiring no matter when it was told. But in this climate right now, when we're talking about immigration and immigration reform, and we really need to think about what those words mean and the people that are behind those words, I think you'll really enjoy her story. So that said, thank you so much for listening as always. And here's my conversation with Maribel Hernandez Rivera. Hello and welcome to Mass and Volume. I am Scotty Crow, your host, and today I have the very distinct pleasure of sitting next to Maribel Rivera. Did I get that right? Maribel Hernandez Rivera. Maribel Hernandez Rivera. Thank you so much for the time. Uh, Maribel is, uh, she works in the Mayor's Office of Immigration Affairs, and she's the Executive Director of Legal Initiatives. And uh, most specifically, my understanding is that Maribel uh, created and manages uh, Action NYC, which is an organization from the mayor's office to provide um, safe and free legal assistance to immigrants in the city. Is that correct? That's right. Wonderful. So um, to start, Maribel, I would love for you to share your story. I read that you were born in Mexico City and you moved to Texas around the age of 13. I would love to hear how, how that influenced your sense of cultural identity and the identities that you carry and that most resonate with you now. Definitely. So moving from Mexico City to the United States at the age of 13 was definitely a very important time in my life. Uh, It really marked who I am. It marked my identity. Uh, My dad came to the United States before we did. So he came, I don't know exactly because I don't remember exactly how old I was when he left, but I was a child. And so he must have been in the U.S. for three or four years before we arrived. So I... In terms of my my identity, I remember being back in Mexico City and feeling that longing for my father. You know, my father wasn't in, in the U.S. and we used to speak often, um, but even when we spoke, uh, we didn't have a phone in our house, so we had to go to my grandma's house, and it had to be very uh, short because it was expensive. So I and I remember clearly the day he left. I remember um, I was asleep. And I remember it must have been around midnight and he kissed me and said goodbye. And I knew he was coming to the U.S. I knew that was the last time I was, I was going to see him for a while. Um, so that marked, again, my, my identity thinking, OK, so this is a new change in our lives. Um, and then for years, knowing that my dad was far away, but that we couldn't be together um, and just longing for have to, to have that father relationship. Um, so when we finally came to the United States to visit him, I begged my mom uh, to stay, to, to stay with him. Um, my mom didn't want us to stay, and neither did my dad, because they were afraid that we might end up in gangs because we didn't have a lot of resources. So um, we, you know, my dad would have to work all the time. So he wasn't sure that he was going to have the ability to, to oversee us or, or to take care of us. Um, so anyway, in the end, I asked and I begged and I begged, and so they let me stay. It was supposed to be temporary. Uh, my mom said, you can stay as long as you stay with your younger brother. And so we stayed together. Um, and I just remember being super happy to be with my dad. Mm-hmm. Now, my dad uh, did not pursue higher education. I, I think the highest level of education he had uh, was high school. Uh, but even then, you know, just being with him and, and he was always next to me when I wrote my 
papers, when I did my homework, when I had at the beginning, I didn't speak any English. Uh, so when I had to look up every single word uh, in the instructions, the homework instructions, they were in English. So I had to look it up in the Spanish English dictionary. And then he will help me translate it so that I understood what the question was and then translate my answer. So he was a big part of my life. Um, and but he was undocumented. He came here undocumented. He crossed the border. I remember him telling me a story when he crossed the border and he was crossing the desert um, and he saw that immigration officials were coming and then he hid in, in, in this hole and it turns out that in the hole there were cacti. Mm -hmm. So he was stung by the torrent, but he was like, you know, he couldn't move. So he was just having this feeling he had to not move. Um, and then, you know, he wasn't caught and, and he continued to be here. So, so it was always in the back of my mind my dad's story, the sacrifices that he made so that I could be in the United States. Um, when I was in Mexico, I always liked studying, but in Mexico, um, because of our socioeconomic class, uh, we couldn't really get ahead. I won a scholarship, for example, once in Mexico, but the principal of the school kept the money. Oh, so wow. yeah, it didn't really change anything for my uh, my situation, but you know, and so so it was hard being in Mexico knowing that I wanted to do something with my life, but seeing at an early age that I couldn't do anything. Uh, whereas when I came to the United States, I started in ESL classes, but eventually moved on to honors classes. And then eventually I was lucky enough to be found by Phillips Exeter Academy. And they offered me a full scholarship and I went to boarding school and I went to college. And so all of that changed my life. But I'm very well aware that the reason that my life changed was because my dad came here mm. and eventually we came here here and so in terms of my identity my immigrant identity very much defines who i am and very much defines my career choices and my personal choices right um thank you for sharing that story about your father i can't imagine what what that process has been like and uh, you went to harvard for undergrad correct i did so you graduated from harvard with high honors and then you went on to get degrees in law from NYU and a degree in policy from Princeton. Mm -hmm. And so you moved to the country not speaking any English at the age of 13. Yeah. And then four or five years later, you started your collegiate career mm -hmm. and um, have excelled and obviously been a big advocate for change. In that window of moving to the United States and learning English and getting acclimated, what was, what was the most difficult part of that transition? Mm. Um, so when we moved, because like I mentioned, when we first moved, the idea wasn't for us to stay. And I had to really beg to stay with my dad. And so it was a temporary move. Um, so my mom went back to Mexico, actually. So we moved. And so whereas at the beginning of my childhood, my dad wasn't there. Later in my childhood, my mom wasn't there because she was back at home uh, with my older brother. Um, so having my family be separated, both when I was in Mexico and then when I was in the US was difficult. I remember when I was in middle school, I had a lot of mentors, so I, I, I'm very grateful, and I really strongly believe that's the reason why I've gotten to where I am. A lot of mentors, but in middle school, I remember, you know, excelling and, and getting this prize and that award, but my mom wasn't there because she was in Mexico. Uh, and sometimes my dad couldn't be there because he worked at a warehouse, so he couldn't just have the privilege of saying, well, I'll be right back. I'm going to go to my child's ceremony. Um, so that was often bittersweet, sweet, you know, knowing that I had won this award, but my family wasn't there. Um, so that was one thing. And then the other thing, what was really difficult is knowing I wasn't documented. I wasn't documented for a long time. Um, so not knowing that there was a lot of uncertainty, not knowing what was going to happen. I remember um, when it all started, when we came to the U.S., 
I used to think to myself, well, it's fine. I mean, I came here to be with my dad, so that's what I wanted to do. And then I used to think, well, you know, if someday we get deported, at the very least, I now speak English. And I remember what I can do is I can go to the airport and I can help people with their bags and I can help the tourists and I'll speak English. Um, And it wasn't because I didn't have higher aspirations, but I knew that the reality was stark. I knew that we didn't have a lot of choices and that things could change at any minute. Um, And, you know, one piece I haven't mentioned that also marked my life, uh, my dad actually passed while being undocumented. And he passed in a car accident in South Carolina. Um, He was driving. He had just uh, gone to Virginia to drop off my younger brother, who's now in the Navy. And at that point, he had my brother had left to Japan to be uh, to go to Japan with the Navy for a few years. So my dad is driving down from Virginia to Texas back home. Um, He got into a car accident. He passed. Mm. Um, And what marked me about that, of course, it was a passing, but how it happened. So my dad gets into a car accident. He has his cell phone with him. He has his driver's license with, his, with all his identifying information with him, but nobody contacted us. Nobody. Nobody called the family to say this has happened. We learned about it. This Days later, this was actually around my birthday. Uh, he died on October 14th. My birthday is on the 16th. Um, and we learned about it a few days later because that weekend, my dad was, he was a handyman. So he was going to do a handyman's job and he had hired a young man who helped him often. And so when my dad didn't show up to the job, uh, the person called my dad. And then when the phone rang, the person at the junkyard, the owner of the junkyard, picked up the phone and told the young man, the person whose phone this is has passed. Yeah. And so what marked me about that is that, you know, the police could have called. The, the phone was there. Obviously, if the junkyard man can pick up the phone and answer the phone, they could have done the same. Right. Um, my dad's life was, driver's license was there. So why it happened? I would never know why they didn't contact us. I will never really know. My hypothesis is they just thought it's another undocumented person. Right. So yeah. who's going to look for him? Right. Well, um, well, thank you for sharing that. It's a very powerful story. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess to, to that point and, and you going through that experience um, and looking at what your experience has been professionally and even through school, you've been such an advocate for justice and standing up for refugees and immigration reform. Um, was that sort of the formative moment for, for seeing yourself on that path or had you been thinking about it before? I had thought about it before. Mm-hmm. Uh, a very influential person in my life is my mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my mother actually was a professor in Mexico City and she belonged to her union, and she was a very active member of her union. She was the finance secretary of her union. So I remember as a young kid going to demonstrations. I don't remember what the demonstrations were about, (laughs) but I remember being the kid singing, the people united will never be defeated, right? And, And that was a chant that I always had in my head. So as a little kid, I always knew that social justice was something that was important. And then growing up, it was trying to f- figure out what what my identity was going to be around social justice. And so when I went to uh, high school, in fact, um, I was one of very few Latinos in the high school. Um, so I didn't really know what to do with this privilege that I now had. I had a lot of privilege being uh, even a full scholarship student, but a lot of privilege that, for example, I didn't have to worry about paying rent. Whereas when we were with my dad, I remember uh, the owner of the house, he would come on the weekend and knock and he'd be like, Roberto, and we would be hiding because my dad didn't have the money to pay for the rent. And the renter was a great man, but we just didn't have the money, right? Whereas when I went to boarding school, 
I had to worry about nothing because somebody had decided they were going to pay for my education. So I had food, I had a shelter, I had like one of the most amazing libraries in the world. Um, so that shift in paradigm where like I now was the privileged person, uh, but at the same time remembering where I was coming from and trying to think, how do I use this privilege to help other people because somebody else used their privilege to help me. Right. That's sort of been a recurring theme with the podcast is understanding the understanding the privilege we carry based on either our experience or how we naturally um, appear in the world. And I think not only, I used to think it was most important to understand that and act with humility, which I think is very important, but now I think it's even more important to understand how we can use that privilege to help other people and to hold the, do- hold the door open for other people who may not carry that as well. A couple of things that you've shared recently uh, in the past few minutes strike me, and I think that um, just as important to call out and one of those is the importance of having mentors and, and people who may serve as role models or heroes for us and, and the support that they can give us in difficult times. And the other thing you mentioned was, um, in respect to your father, uh, the idea that people may have, people or leadership or uh, may have just seen him as, quote, another undocumented immigrant. And I think that as, as immigration is you know, at the forefront of a lot of the news over the past couple months, that to me seems like one of the biggest problems is that people who may not live in communities that have a large number of immigrants just see them as as numbers, right? They don't see the humanity there. And it just for just a, a quick moment, I so when I was working in Los Angeles, I had I volunteered at a few high schools and I was helping high school seniors write their college entrance essays. And I really enjoyed this and I got very close with a pair of young ladies and um, I was helping them write their essays and they had they had gone through experiences that I had never gone through in life, right? So um, they were both dreamers and they had come to the country very young uh, with single mothers and uh, each of their mothers had um, a younger sibling while they were in middle school and the mother had to go back to work. So they essentially uh, were raising their younger sibling while also working very hard at school and they were going to be the first people in their family to go to higher education, first people in their family to speak English fluently and had just worked harder than I had ever worked in my entire life. And between November 8th and November 10th, there was such a drastic change in their demeanor from feeling like all of their work was going to finally pay off to feeling at risk and that they might not matter. And um, that to me, that to me is the reality of, of what's happening. And so I just wanted to ask you, because of all of your work that you've done and so many different communities that you've Um, assisted and advocated for if there's any story maybe it's about a dreamer maybe it's about someone that you've had one-to-one interaction with um, that you might be able to share yeah so first um to this idea and i understand that feeling of you know i've worked this hard my whole life uh and now it seems like everything's about to disappear uh or fall apart um the one thing i wanted to share and and i want to share with dreamers i want to share with immigrants um like I mentioned, I myself once upon a time was a doc- undocumented. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what my future was going to hold. Uh, but I said to myself, let me continue to work hard. Uh, because, you know, the the worst thing you can do is be prepared, be skilled. And then whatever uh, the future throws at you, you, you'll be ready for it. And I say that because I never knew that I would ever end up in local government. I never knew that there would be a mayor in the biggest city one of the biggest cities in the country who would care about immigrants, mm. right? I, 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 when I grew up, growing up here as an undocumented immigrant, I grew up with fear. I grew up 
thinking that I shouldn't be talking about my immigrant experience. Uh, so it's been actually a whole process for me to be able to speak out and, and say who I am without being afraid. And so I understand all those people who are afraid because, you know, because the consequences are so stark. But what I never knew was that eventually that kid who came here undocumented at the age of 13, who had to hide because we didn't have money to pay the rent, um, now was going to be able to be working at the mayor's office of immigrant affairs in New York City, creating programs to help immigrants um, attain illegal status. Right. Uh, so my dad died undocumented. And so when I thought about what, you know, even at that moment, I, I was already deciding what to do with myself. I was thinking whether I, I would do uh, development, international development, or I would work domestically in immigration affairs. Uh, when that happened, I said, this, my calling is immigration, and that's what I'm going to do. Um, but, but, but I say all of that because I don't want people to give up because now in this position that I am, I feel so lucky. One, I was prepared for it, right? So, so when this position happened, I had the master's in public policy. I had the JD. I had the knowledge of doing immigration work. So I came to this work being able to do it. But also there was a window of opportunity that opened. The mayor, Bill de Blasio, really cares about this. We have an amazing commissioner, Nisha Agarwal, who, who has a vision. You know, they created the first municipal ID in the well. well not the first, but the biggest, the largest big, uh, municipal ID in the country. And so that means that more than 900,000 people now can carry ID with them in the city, feeling that they can identify themselves, right? So in terms of stories, what I want to say, I guess I'm using my own story because what I want to say is I understand how it feels to be hope, to feel hopeless, to feel like people are attacking you, to feel like you don't know where to go, but you never know when those windows of opportunities are going to open one. Uh, for immigrants to know that there actually are a lot of people who care about them. When Mayor Bill de Blasio goes out there and says, this is a welcoming city and we are going to fight and we're going to make sure that we're protecting immigrants. When, for example, Action NYC was created, that was another thing. I I was so amazed when, when the mayor said, okay, we're going to put in some money and we're going to help people. With, 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 with At that moment, it was President Obama's executive actions, which were going to give immigration status, uh, temporary immigration status to parents of American citizens and residents and to dreamers. Uh, so at that moment, that's how Action NYC got started. But, uh, and then that didn't happen because it was, up, not, it was uh, held up in the courts. But that program is now able to pivot and now that program is able to help people right now because even right now, there's a lot of immigrants who qualify for citizenship. So if you're an immigrant who qualifies for citizenship, go and apply. Mm -hmm. and, and what's amazing is the mayor is putting resources so we can help those people apply because applying for citizenship might not be as easy as it seems. But if we have programs to help people, we're ready for that. But there's also people who might be undocumented right now and who might qualify for something but they don't know it, right? If you're a victim of a crime, you might qualify for something. If you're a child who has been neglected or, or abandoned, you might qualify for an immigration benefit. So I say all of that because you never know when the window of opportunities are gonna be, or when they're gonna open up, but what you can do is control your own life, right? So you can say, I'm gonna be prepared, I'm gonna be ready, so that for that moment, when that opportunity arises, I'm gonna be there. Take the dreamers. The DACA program, was the result of years and years of work by the dreamers. These are young people who were undocumented, who are undocumented, and who said, we're going to fight as hard as we can because we belong here, because this is our country too. That's a wonderful message. You mentioned the work of Action NYC and also the municipal ID, the ID NYC program. Mm -hmm. um, this would only pertain to anyone who lives in New York City. But So actually, I, fa I found out about the Office of Immigration Affairs 
because I saw Commissioner Agarwal on a panel. And after the panel, one of the hosts mentioned that not only is the is the card available and it has all these wonderful city benefits and access to cultural institutions, but there's a there's a, there's a degree of allyship and support that can happen by everyone in the city getting an ID card because then it's not just associated to the Office of Immigration Affairs, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes, and, definitely. Cool. So, um, so I just want to say uh, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but I have my appointment tomorrow because I just moved into my apartment yesterday, so I have my lease. So, Yay! Um, so I'm, I'm very excited, and I've been trying to encourage everyone that I know to also get that ID. I did want to ask, I feel like it'd be remiss not to mention or take this time to ask you if there are any other, I think either either issues issues that people should be aware of that are sort of beyond the headlines that we see, uh, you know, beyond the larger marches and the bands and ways to engage or protest or speak out, um, any other specific things that I think are important for people to know the reality of and or a way to support if people care about these issues but they don't know because they feel like they're they're too grand or too big to make a difference. Like what is it? What are small things that people can do that actually contribute to making a difference or supporting immigration or immigration reform? So the first thing, and you've mentioned it, the simplest thing, if you're a New Yorker living in New York City, get your ID NYC. We are very lucky and we have seen the great success of the program. More than 900,000 people having this ID. Mm. That is huge. And these are people who are citizens, not citizens, who are young, who are old, who are professionals, who, who are not. So, so the ID, it just says, I am a New Yorker, just like anybody else. And in New York, we do not make a difference. Mm. We do not differentiate between this type of New Yorker or that type of New Yorker. We're all New Yorkers. So that's one. The other thing that people can do really, really important. Uh, Even if you're very, very well-meaning and you want to help somebody who has an immigration legal question, do not get into the business of giving immigration legal advice because the consequences of applying for the wrong benefit are grave. Somebody can end up being deported. So what can people do? They can let people know you just have to call in New York City, if you are in New York City, call 311, say Action NYC, and you get free immigration legal help. If you are elsewhere in the country, there are other organizations out there helping people. So make sure that people have the, the information that they need. Uh, a lot of that information is actually, you can obtain it from the internet. You can print it. So something very simple. Um, I remember being, you know, like I said, being a, a, an immigrant who didn't have a lot of resources. So having a printer was a privilege. I didn't have a printer. I only had one when I went to high school at that fancy school. Uh, but you could print out, you know, the information that you see on the internet and give it to, uh, and give it to people who need it. You can point people to the right uh, organizations. And if you don't know what they are, ask, right? So in, again, in, in New York City, just call 311, ask for immigration legal help, and they can, and they can forward you that, that way. So that's, that's another thing. Another thing that people can do in terms of how do we help, um, how do we help promote immigration reform? How do we help immigrants? I think you mentioned it very clearly, is just humanizing what immigration is about. Because even the word immigration for people who are outside of this movement doesn't really mean much, right? It just means people who came over the border. But if you know that mom, that dad, that child who's been fighting for, they came here maybe because they were being tortured in their country. They came here even, you know, even they came here. So, for example, my my example, they came here because this is the land of opportunities and because and you see them working hard and you see them doing as much as they can. And and they come here because they want to help. They want to be part of this culture. So the more you can become familiar 
with what it means to be an immigrant, the more you can share it with other people. And if you don't know people who have gone through this experience, talk to them. Mm-hmm. You know, there are, now that we have the internet, uh, this idea of like, well, I've never seen somebody who looks like this or who has had that experience, is pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Go to United with Dream, for example. There's plenty of stories there of DACA holders. Um, go to the news and, and see how many people, you know, there was a young mother recently um, from Arizona who was deported after having come here as a child, having had children, U.S. citizen children. She had been checking in with immigration officers for such a long time, and then she was so she was when people start understanding the consequences of breaking people families apart, of leaving children behind who are U.S. citizen children who have the right to be here, the consequences of people who come here just to not only better themselves but better this country, better our culture, make sure that we are what we say we are, this melting pot, right? Because that's what we are. Mm-hmm. And also understanding what our history is. The United States history it's a history of immigration. That's what it is. Right. Everyone has an immigrant story. Right? Yes. If, if we track it back. Yes. Um, Except yes. for Native Americans. Except for Na- yes. Very, very, very good point. And uh, slavery, which I want to clarify, is not immigration. Agreed. That was forced. But again, there's been so many systems of oppression that we need to be aware of because that has defined how some people fare in life and how some other people don't fare in life. Right. 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 Very, very true. Yeah. And there's been, I'll, I'll link a few in the show notes, but there have been some really beautiful stories and features, I think, to this end and to this point of showing the humanity behind um, the impact of new policy and the fact that there are elementary, high school, middle school students who are scared to go to school for fear that they'll come back and and their family, their parents will be deported or um, parents who are afraid to go to markets and, and go out in public. And I think that that's... Um, it's a really ugly way that society, I think, is, is operating right now. So um, I'll, I'll try to link a few of those things. But thank you. I close every podcast by asking two very open-ended questions to my guests to see what's on their heart. And the first one is, um, what is it that matters the most to you? What matters the most to me, I, I would say two things. Um, justice, making sure that, you know, that idea of justice doesn't disappear. And justice for all, right? Mm. Not justice for some, or justice for people who we believe are the right people and not the, justice for all. Uh, and then on the personal level, it's my family and friends because they are my rocks, they are my mentors, they are what helps me when things get tough. I can go to them, I can seek a hug from my husband, I can seek a pep talk from my mom. Um, so those two components, justice and family and friends, is what really keeps me going every day. I love that. And the other question is, um, what is one thing that everyone in the world should do each day? I would say be grateful. Uh, So every day, find something to be grateful for or find something that makes you happy every day. Not just every now and then, but every day. So even in these hard times, I every single day, I think, well, what was that amazing thing that happened today? And that amazing thing that happened today could be my lunch was delicious. Right. Or, you know, I got to give my husband that great hug and we got to t- chat about, you know, my favorite show. Whatever it is, it doesn't have to be something humongous. But even those little things, again, that's what keeps me going. That that positivity, that 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 belief that there is something great in this world and that all the negativity that's not just noise but we're not going to let that noise take over that positivity. Mm-hmm. I'm so I'm so with that. And and that positivity and that 
very sort of like hope and aspiration, you exude that. And I think it's present throughout your entire story. And so it seems to me that that's been, that's a very important thing for everyone to hold on to. Um, so thank you so much for the time. One little other bit I wanted to share is when I was in Los Angeles, I was also working with a group of middle schoolers, helping them. Uh, it's like a filmmaking course and helping them find their voice and personal narrative. And one young woman, she's in sixth grade right now, and she wants to become an immigration lawyer mm. to stand up for her community and, and help people. And um, I can't wait to tell her about meeting you and, and share your story with her because I think it'll be really inspiring for her. So thank you for everything you're doing, both in the city and amplifying it out beyond New York City. And um, I really appreciate the time. Thank you. And for that young woman, I would say, si se puede. I would say, to me, one of my role models is Sonia Sotomayor. She has shown how you can come from very resource, lack, lack resources at the beginning and then make your way through uh, this complicated uh, system that we have. But um, don't, don't give up. You know, to that young woman who's uh, in sixth grade and who wants to be an immigration attorney, you can do it. And, and, and just keep following your dreams, following your passion, believe in yourself. Uh, and don't let anybody else tell you what you're worth because you're worth it. You know, every one of us is worth it. So just, just keep on following your dreams. Thank you. Thank you so very much for listening to this episode of Mass and Volume. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, we are at Mass and Volume. Our website is massandvolume.me. And on the website, each audio file is paired with a companion essay. And in that essay, we also list any links or references that the guest or myself may have made in our chat today. If you're listening to us on iTunes, thank you very much. If not, you can subscribe. And if you happen to like what you hear, we would love for you to rate and or review us there. Thank you so very much, and we'll see you soon. Hear you soon. You'll hear us soon. I hope you hear us soon. Okay, I'm done. Bye. with Maribel was so full that I use pretty much everything so I don't have that for you but I do have me talking into a microphone in an empty room so there's that thank you for listening more soon <laughs>